Hey! Welcome to the CGOB Sports Show podcast. On this episode, learn about Brady Keeper, 22-year-old defenseman from Cross Lake, Manitoba. who's just signed an NHL contract with Florida. What does this mean to his hometown community? We'll learn from his assistant coach at the University of Maine, Alfie Michaud, also an Indigenous man from Manitoba and a product of the MJHL. Plus, the Winnipeg Ice will get the first overall pick in the upcoming WHL Bantam Draft, but there's a bit of a catch-22 with the top-rated prospect. Kelly Moore chats with their general manager, Matt Cockle. And March Madness, it's almost here, so I preview it with my dad. Yes, that's on the podcast. Let's, uh, let's start with this. A hockey story locally, because we got another hockey team coming. The Winnipeg Ice are now, well, they are that, the Winnipeg Ice. The Kootenai Ice season is done, so they are now the Winnipeg Ice. And the Western Hockey League held its lottery among the six non-playoff teams earlier today in Calgary to determine who would get the number one overall pick in the May 2nd Bantam Draft in Red Deer. And the lucky first ball out of the chute belonged to the relocated Ice. The only thing is, the unanimous number one prospect for that draft might not play in the Western Hockey League. 15-year-old forward Matthew Savoy of St. Albert has recently committed to the University of Denver, so that could prove to be a bit of a tough one and make for a very difficult decision for Ice GM Matt Cockle on draft day. You know what I think the the, the first thing is, if if you have the opportunity to have the first pick and you're in that position where where that's... uh, a scenario for your club uh, is certainly you, you want to have the opportunity to go before anybody else. So um, we have the ability to control what we're going to do. We don't have to worry about, um, you know, kind of teams before us and, and what they may do. So, so we're, so, so that is really exciting. I think for this year, uh, Jake Heisinger has done a, you know, a tremendous job as, as he did last year uh, in terms of organizing uh, and, and looking at who would be a great fit for our, for the Winnipeg Ice, in terms of what we look for in a player, you know, we're going to be drafting at one and nine. Those are picks where you know you're going to have an Im- impact player um, with, with both those picks. So, all those things are very exciting. Leading up to uh, the draft, there's all sorts of scenarios that will present themselves. We're going to be uh, open. We have a really strong nucleus of young players and. Um, our focus, quite frankly, this year is going to be adding to that group and, and probably with some older players. And these picks are certainly going to be a big part of our future, but we're going to be open to any possible scenario um, that'll make our team better. And between now and May 2nd, there'll be lots of scenarios that are presented to us and we'll listen. And uh, while, while those discussions are happening, Jake is going to continue to do uh, the great great work that he does with our staff in, in terms of all the research uh, with the player, with the family, with their agents, with their coaches, uh, in addition to our player evaluation, and and we'll be ready May 2nd to make the best decision uh, for our franchise. By all accounts, Matthew Savoy, uh, just her, well, 15 years old on January 1st, uh, uh, a forward with the Northern Alberta Extreme, and he played midget hockey this year and did very well, is the number one overall a rated prospect, uh, but because he is committed to the University of Denver, uh, there's the suggestion that he might not ever play on the Western Hockey League. So I guess if I was to present you with a scenario, Matt, that if Matthew Savoy had not committed to the University of Denver, if that he was 
on board with playing in the Western Hockey League? Would it be a slam dunk decision? I think the uh, the process we go through will lead us to making the right decision uh, for the Winnipeg Ice, and I, I think that's kind of what our focus is. So that process involves uh, the player evaluation piece. It involves um, understanding, um, you know, there, there's people involved uh, with, with the kids. They're still very young um, in terms of their families, their their agents in most cases, and, um, and other people, their coaches that are, kind of guiding them we're going to get as much information as possible we've seen uh savoy play um you know for a number of years now you know we know what he's capable of but there's also a lot of other very talented uh players in in western canada and and some of manitoba that you know are all going to be uh places that that we continue to focus and in addition to that you're kind of evaluating other scenarios that may come your way when you compare it to say to the recent years, would this be a strong average or below average draft in terms of uh, the quality of players that'll be available, Matt, with what you've uh, gleaned from Jake Heisinger and his staff? I think it's uh, from, from what I've seen directly and, and the discussions I've had with Jake and his staff, it's a, uh, it's a good draft. Um, I think that the top end of the draft, uh, is very strong and there's a number of players that uh, will make a make a very big impact uh, for their teams when you're projecting kids that are you know 15 years of age and kind of looking ahead to what they'll be at 18 or 19 sometimes uh, you know the player that you see in terms of what they're able to do with their their own age group today and where they'll get to is you know not an exact science but something that I feel our group has a real good handle on. So we'll continue to work at it. We have a couple months here before uh, we have to make a decision, and we're going to use every minute uh, that that we have to make the right decision. I know last year your top two picks were Manitoba kids. Are there Manitoba kids uh, in this 2019 crop, uh, Matt, that would uh, certainly uh, have a good chance of going top five or top ten? Yeah, there, there's a couple kids at the – that would be in, in, in the group of players that, that we'd be looking at, uh, you know, with uh, picking at one and nine. And um, Manitoba and, and Winnipeg is going to be a priority for us as we build our team. Um, having said that, when you have the opportunity to impact your franchise with picks that are, um, you know, as high as these are, we're going to make, uh, you know, the best decision uh for our team, but but there certainly would be uh, some Manitobans that are in the mix for sure. Are there a couple of names you could throw our way, or are you reluctant to do that? Connor Geeky and Detton Matejchuk would be two real good prospects. Geeky is a forward, and Matejchuk is uh, is, a, is a defenseman, and 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 there's a number of others, but those would be two prospects that we've certainly been paying a lot of attention to. Cockle says renovations to the U of M's Wayne Fleming Arena, where the team will play out of the next two WHL seasons, making a professional exit out of Cranbrook. The two jobs right now that the ice front office staff trying to complete before moving on to the next items on a long to-do list. So thanks to Kelly Moore for putting that together for me. In case you missed it, Cross Lake Manitoba's Brady Keeper signed an entry-level NHL contract with the Florida Panthers earlier this week. 22-year-old defenseman spent the last two seasons with the University of Maine after playing three full seasons with the OCN Blizzard of the Manitoba Junior Hockey League. Alfie Michaud, one of 
His coaches at Maine, Light Keeper, an Indigenous man from Manitoba and a product of the MJHL, joins me now on the CJOB Sports Show. First of all, Alfie, tell me about Brady as a hockey player. He's smart. He's a smart hockey player. I know that's that's what drew us to him. Is uh, you know, we'd say he's a cerebral hockey player. He's definitely uh, he's got skill, um, but he's got skill with a bite. You know, he's he's got he's got toughness. He's got meanness to him, uh, which I think is going to suit him well at the pro level. I think he wishes he could have used it more here at the college level, uh, but you know he. He's playing with a cage on, and I know at times that was frustrating for him because I think he would have liked to take a couple of those kids and and uh, and beat them down. But uh, he, he's a he's a he's a talent. Um, the kid absolutely loves the game. Uh, he's a hockey player, you know. Um, that's what he is. That's what he was born to do. Um, and he's he's just a really good, genuine person, you know. Uh, he just just loves the game of hockey. He loves loves what he gets to do every day. He loves his life. He's he's got a great uh, great partner and a couple of kids and uh, you know, he's a dad, he's a young dad, but uh, you know, he comes from a great family up in the north and uh, but he's a he's oh, I'm really interested to see his first game when he's on the ice because uh, for Brady everything, he's always been able to adapt and uh, that's just his his mental process. I think he's just he's really smart. You know, he sees he sees things a couple plays ahead, and at times it looks like he's he's playing too slow. But he's just uh, he's he can slow the game down. But you know, he can play racehorse hockey too when uh, when he needs to. So he played three full seasons with the OCN Blizzard in the MJHL before coming to the University of Maine. What did you see in his game, and what did Maine see in his game at OCN that attracted you to try to get him to Maine? Well, just the way he controlled the game. You know, it's uh, like I said, he's a kid that can, if he wants to get going and get up and down the ice, then he could, and uh, and then he can slow it right down. He just he just sees things. Uh, you know, he just he just saw two or three steps ahead, and. Uh, and you know, a, a, a kid, you know, he's passing over sticks, under sticks. Uh, he had great deception um, without having a stick handle. You know, he was a guy that could open his blade up and and kind of look like he's going one way. All of a sudden, it's a it's a bullet pass the other way to a guy jumping through the middle of the hole. And uh, so he has that gift. He's uh, you know, and he can do stuff on the blue line that that a lot of people can't do. And uh, and he tries it, you know. He's like I said, he's he's got he's got some skill there that uh, that that we really liked. And uh, you know, he I would th- I'm pretty sure he's pretty close. He let our let our team uh, in minutes this season for sure. Um, and I think he was pretty darn close last year, even as a freshman leading our team in minutes. It was it was a close. If that it was, he was a really close close second. That's for sure. You know. Um, so uh, yeah, that's you know, and he was the best player in that league, and uh, that, that's what we want here. We want we don't mind kids aging out, and you know, he played in every situation um, in OCN. You know, he's the first guy over on the PP, and he's probably going to play the whole PP, and he's the first guy over on the PK, and he's probably going to play a minute and thirty of that. He's going to play the last three minutes of a hockey game if they're down, 
you know, and uh, it was an adjustment when he came here because he was so used to so much ice time in OCN. You know, there's times he'd, he'd ask, like, why isn't he playing as much? And I would go look at the at the minutes sheet, and I'd be like, Brady, you played 27 minutes tonight. He's like, it doesn't even feel like I played, you know? And it's like, well, you know, this ain't OCN where you're playing 40, 40 plus a night. So, uh, you know, but, you know, like I said, he loves to play, and he's a hockey player. What was that moment like for you when Brady put the pen to paper on the NHL contract? Um, yeah, it's it's almost like you're signing it yourself. You know, it's uh, yeah, it brings back a lot of yeah. It was it was emotional. You know, you know, you know what that kid's been through, where he comes from. You know, Hilda and Anthony. You know uh, what they you know had you know what they did for their kids and. You know, you live you live that far north up in uh, in Manitoba. You know, those drives are three and four hours to play hockey games. And um, you know, when when he play when he was playing for us, you know, if he was if he had a five a.m. flight to come back east uh, when he's gone home visiting family, you know, he's jumping in the car at you know probably six p.m. You know, and they drive all night through the night on those roads. I don't know if you've ever been up that way to the Paw and those places. And, you're on those one single lane uh, roads driving through the night and in weather and you know, you jump on a plane and, and come out east and and then they turn around and go right back home because he had to get to work you know and and uh yeah they're they're special people you know just just the whole people up there in general they're special people you know um what they endure and and what they do for their kids up that way, um, like I said, the traveling and stuff. I just, uh, you know, I was lucky. I, I lived down in the south in Selkirk, and you know, you travel, but it's you're driving to Winnipeg and cruising around and playing in those leagues. You know, he he went all over up there in the north, and uh, you know, it's kudos to his family and his community for the support. And then, and more importantly, at the end of the day, the kid has to decide if he wants to do it, and. Uh, and then he has to go out and do it. Uh, Brady did that. So I know it was a, a real proud moment for our staff, Red Gendron, Ben Gite, and myself, uh, you know, seeing, seeing him ink that deal and the big smile he had and being there with his partner, Shailen, and his two boys. Uh, yeah, that's that's life-changing. So, uh, you know, he's a – I said it before, he's a, he's a beacon of hope for that uh, that community and then – all those communities, much like a Jordan Tutu was, you know, Jordan, uh, great role model for the for the native youth, and but up in that north, and but I think Brady's one of the first, like from Manitoba, in the north there to come out, uh, kind of deal, and uh, we couldn't be more happier for him. Uh, you know, you get goosebumps when you when you think about it, and you you, you see him on TV, and you see all the interviews and uh, and stuff, and. Uh, yeah, it, it was a really, really uh, neat moment for sure. Now, how big a deal is this for a community like Cross, like to see someone emerge from that community and do something so great, like sign with an NHL team? Well, that, uh, like I said, that that just that just makes it that you know, it, every single kid there uh, believes they, you know, they at first they all know Brady on a personal level because um, he's great with his community and. And now they all, they touch him, they shake his hands, he's rubbing their heads. And uh, now that, just to have that why not me, 
you know, uh, you know, I can do this. If Brady can do this, I can do this. And that, that's the neatest thing to see. Um, you know, I travel those communities. I, I, I get up in different areas and, and travel with, with uh, some ex NHL uh, native alumni guys. And, and that's the message. Um, but, you know, we're, we're old and retired and, and to have somebody that's, that's young and, and, you know, be able to do that, but, but live up there, you know, for those kids, it's, it, it, it can be a game changer for all those kids just to know that, uh, yeah, he, he's one of them. Right. And they went through a lot. Uh, I don't know if you, you knew they, they did a documentary on their, uh, on their fastball team up there, which Brady was a part of. And, uh, and there was a, there's, it's, it's a, it's a tough spot. You know, sometimes people ask me things uh, about those places and sometimes they're just, you know, it, it's depressing because some of those kids up there, if they're not in sports, uh, it, it makes it darn tough. You know, um, you know, if you're not an athlete, because most of those rinks have hockey and most of those reserves have hockey rinks and, and they have community centers and they have schools for the badminton and, and the, the basketball and the volleyball and, and stuff. But geez, if you're not one of those kids, I like that. I don't know what you do up there, you know, other than, you know, kick some stones and you, you know, you have to be that outdoorsy and want to go fish and hunt and trap. But what if you're not one of those kids, you know, and that, that's the, that's the thing up there. Um, so I know, uh, you know, chiefs and elders and counselors and they're all working hard to make change up there and uh, i'm sure brady and, and guys like zach Whitecloud and you get the bridget laquettes and, and that they're definitely those are great role models for these kids and, and uh, we couldn't be more happy that's for sure finally alfie just beyond that community but looking at kind of the indigenous populace as a whole across canada how big a deal is it to have somebody who is indigenous in the nhl it's huge. It's huge. It really is. It's, uh, you know, I, I told him he's, he's making history, more history, I guess. Uh, you know, there's been a lot of greats, obviously Freddie Sackham, who's Reggie Leach, uh, you know, Johnny Shabbat, you look at, you know, kind of Jamie Leach and then that middle tiers, Aaron Ashram, and Jonathan Chichu and Tutu and those guys. And now there's this kind of new crop of young kids like Zach White, Cloud, Ethan Bear, and, and now Brady uh, I have Facebook. Most of my, a lot of my friends are obviously First Nation because uh, you know I'm a proud First First Nation male. And, um, yeah, they, they they call it Indian Country, you know, and it's uh, in Indian Country. It's it, it was the biggest news in in all of Canada. I got texts and messages from people in BC. Um, messages from somebody up in Yellowknife. I got messages from people in New Brunswick and Nova Scotia. Just, uh, you know, and it, it like you said, it, it's coast to coast. You know, it, it really is. And up in the north, people are so proud and of him and uh, and those other people I mentioned before. And, uh, you know, they're, uh, it, it's awesome. It, it's, it's a great thing, no question. Well, Afi, I appreciate your time tonight, and uh, again, congratulations on this. It's a big, a big deal for your program as well. No question. Yeah, we're we're excited. Uh, you know, we we've had I think we had three signings, NHL signings, uh, within the last two days. So you know, we're happy as a staff and 
you know, we're going to, we're going to keep going hard here and, uh, and yeah, and then we'll, uh, we'll just keep going, but we'll be watching anxiously with, with all our kids that leave this program and uh, we couldn't be more happier. All right, March Madness is about to get underway, so I am dialing up the man I think I knows as much about college basketball as anybody I know, and that would be my dad, Rob, in Port Elgin. How you doing, Dad? I'm doing good, Christian. How are you doing? Good. How much do you like this time of year? This is my favorite uh, two-week period, I think, in, in, in all of the sports year. You may argue the Stanley Cup Finals would be up there, but uh, in terms of sheer day-to-day excitement, it's pretty hard to beat. And I guess when you're retired, it's going to be a lot easier to watch all the games throughout the day than it would have been in the past years. Uh, Don't have to set my PVR to record 18 hours worth of basketball, (laughs) that's for sure. Now, I still don't know if I'm going to, you know, obviously the first round when you've got some of the – you know, automatic bids team. I don't even know who they are or where they are. So those ones I'm not always so keen on watching. But that's the beauty of it, right? There's in a you know in, a, in the first day when there's 16 games on, nine of them are going to be blowouts, so you can just kind of skip past. But then all of a sudden, a 13 is beating a four with three minutes left, and you can't. You just you have to be there to see what happens. Uh, there's nothing like watching it live. Yeah, you can catch it on the you know, the, the five minute, uh, recap at the end of the day, but to actually see the, the emotions as they unfold and the timeouts as they're called and, you know, the tears in some of the kids eyes, when they realize, uh, the dance is over for them. You can't, uh, you can't replicate that in a highlight package. And there's, there's kind of two tiers to March Madness. The first weekend is when some of those Cinderella teams, they get their moment in the spotlight, they win a game and then it's kind of down to brass tacks usually by the time the second, third weekends roll around. You you look historically, right, and uh, it's pretty hard for somebody outside the, you know, the number one and two seeds to really make a deep run. Every once in a while it happens, or you get a butler or uh, Well, last year there was somebody, 11. Yeah, but those, are, those aren't the norm. No, and 11 seed Loyola Chicago made the final – for last year because a 16 seed took out a one seed in their bracket. And that Which had was, never happened before. No, and that was something to behold. That was just amazing. But I don't yeah. think we're going to get anything like that this year, or any, maybe anytime soon again. Uh, not not a number one overall no. seed. I hope not because Duke's my <laughs> team. And if they yes. go out in the first round this year, I'm going to be crying. Yes. Full disclosure, yes, we're both both Duke fans. You more so than I am just because, I, I, you know, you watch a lot more college basketball than I do. But – it, they are the popular pick to win the tournament. They are the number one overall seed. They have Zion Williamson. You've watched Duke for a long time. Where does Zion rank in terms of players you've watched play? I would say of all the Duke teams I've seen, you know, in terms of individual skill and dominance, he's he's by far you know number one. You know, you had Grant Hill. Uh, I would say would be probably the next most talented. Uh, to ever come out of Duke, but uh, I've never seen a player that has his kind of hops and you know size, strength, and still can handle the ball like a guard. And you just don't see that combination very often. So, are they going to win the tournament? I would say they have a good shot if Zion stays healthy and his knee doesn't give him any issues. 
that's my big concern is, you know, hopefully his shoes hold together this time and he doesn't end up blowing out an ankle or a knee or something like that. Because you you've, you've seen with him in the lineup, everybody else is better. You take him out of the lineup, uh, Reddish and Barrett are not the same players. They, so that team needs him. Any other player they can lose, and they they could still survive. But if they lose uh, Williamson, uh, they're pr- pretty much done. Yeah, R.J. Barrett, Canadian kid, named USA Today's Player of the Year, is going to be a top probably five draft pick. But it's different when when Zion's on the court. They are a terrible three point shooting team. Does that matter? I think they've shown it doesn't matter because look at the teams they've beaten shooting poorly. Right, they've beaten Virginia twice. They've beaten North Carolina, right? They've beaten, you know, Florida State. They've beaten good teams that when all the pundits say, oh, they can't shoot the three, they can't go far. Well, they've beaten two of the number one seeds shooting poorly from the three-point line. Now, they need Williamson to score 30 points to do that, but he's shown he can. So if Duke doesn't win, who are some other teams that you think have a good shot? Uh, well, I think my final four is Duke, Michigan, Virginia, North Carolina. It's kind of chalky, but uh, those are the teams I think have shown over the course of the whole year that they have the capability of going on a six-game streak. Okay. Yeah, Virginia and North Carolina are one seeds, uh, Michigan a two seed, but nobody really trusts Gonzaga as a one seed. They made the final four once, but generally they seem to be overseeded. Well, it comes, like everybody says, right, who have they played in the last two months that's really tested them? You can look at the teams that are playing in the ACC or the Big Ten, and they've played multiple games that are buzzer beaters where everything's on the line and, you know, the emotions are high. Gonzaga hasn't hasn't done that since their non-conference schedule. Right, and they've lost their conference cha- championship game, but that was one of just three losses. Duke played them and then played them close. They lost late to Duke or to Gonzaga. But uh, overall, if it happens to be a North Carolina-Duke final, two teams that have amazingly never played in the tournament before, would that be kind of a, the be-all, end-all of that rivalry? Well, I would think that you, they will, they have played three times already this year. Uh, I think having a fourth game to kind of winner takes all, this is for kind of the bragging rights for North Carolina basketball. I don't know how it gets any better than that if you're you know, a, a college hoops fan. Right? It's taking the, taking the number one rivalry and now sticking it in the, the, num- the highest uh, stressor that you have in college basketball, the national championship. So do you normally fill out a bracket for March Madness? I do not. Because I quite enjoy the pure purity of watching each game and not in the back of my mind going, oh, no, if they lose, that busts my bracket. Ah, it takes To me, it takes some of the joy out of watching a 13-seed Vermont potentially beat a 4-seed Florida State. When you're thinking brackets all the time, then you're not necessarily enjoying the game for the game. You're enjoying the game because you think, okay, I'm going to be first in in my league or whatever group your your brackets in. I'm the same. I'm way. not. A- yeah. For years, I would. I think like probably three years ago, I decided to stop just to give it a try, and it it definitely feels kind of liberating. It's the same reason I don't probably a bet on sports and B don't play fantasy sports anymore. It's just because you don't enjoy the game as much when you've got kind of side things 
riding on the results. Well, I agree, right? You, you, if you're always in the back of your mind thinking, oh, geez, I really want this. I'd like to see the upset, but on your bracket, you're going, oh, but the upset's going to kill me. You know, you end up losing losing uh, the ability, like you said, to have the freedom to root for whatever team has the hot hand. So finally, if it's Duke, North Carolina, the Final Four is in Minneapolis. How much, how how high would you be willing to pay to go to that game? If if it was a game in a true basketball stadium, I'd be willing to go. You know, two or three thousand dollars. For a game that's going to be in a football stadium, I'm not a big fan of these raised floors and the whole way they, they do the Final Four in, in the football stadium. So I'd be more apt uh, to want to go to a viewing party down at Duke than I would to actually go pay the you know $3,000 to go watch it in Minneapolis. Just because the, the vantage you're going to have and you're going to probably end up watching more of it on the big screen at the, at the stadium than you would actually watching what's going on in the court anyway. Fair enough. Yeah, it's kind of a weird environment when and the the depth perception of the court, the players on it, right? They're, it's so far. There's so much happening around the court that isn't normally there. It it is kind well, of odd that they put the highest. And I know they're trying to get money for ticket sales, but it it does yeah. change things. Well, you you look at uh, at least over the last few years when they're playing the Final Four in these stadiums, all you ever hear about is in the first half how everybody's shooting's off and they're shooting at kind of season lows for percentage because you know there's nothing behind the net but blank black uh tarps or whatever they've put up uh so it's not it's not nearly the same uh quality of basketball either at least from what i've seen all right well i appreciate you uh you coming on the show and i guess we'll be both we'll both be wearing our duke blue on friday when they're they're playing whoever the play-in winner is tonight but uh let's hope they go on a on a good run here Go Duke! Check out the CJOB Sports Show weeknights from 7 to 9 p.m. with Christian O'Mell and the Sports Show Podcast. Not available on iTunes, not available on Google Podcasts, not available anywhere you get your favorite podcasts. Yes.